All right, I'm going to preach a message called, Can I Lose My Salvation? Does the Bible teach us eternal security? Or does the Bible say that our salvation is conditional? Understanding this truth is the key to having a deep confidence and a deep assurance in our walk with God. And when we have that strong confidence in our walk with God, it would lead to greater liberty in our spiritual life and deeper intimacy with God. The ability to really have a strong, intimate walk with God is based on this truth. So this truth is foundational to a strong, powerful Christian life. It's not only about tongues and miracles. This truth is foundation to a strong and powerful Christian life. Because the moment you have greater intimacy in your heart with God, you will begin to appreciate His love and His grace more and more and more. And when you learn to appreciate His love and His grace more and more, it leads to greater commitment from our part towards God. It leads to greater fruitfulness from our lives. Amen? So I want to really establish this truth in our church here. See, our church is founded on certain core values. And one of those core values is that God is always good. God is good all the time. Can you say amen? And all the time, God is good. The other core value is this, God is love. He's always love. He never stops being love. Amen. Hallelujah. See, the majority of churches in Nagaland and also a majority of the prayer houses in Nagaland are confused about salvation. The confusion is this. We teach that we are saved only by Jesus. But then we also teach and prophesy that we can lose our salvation if we sin or we fall away from God, or we backslide. So that's very confusing. Because on one hand, we teach we are saved by grace, but on the other hand, we teach that we can lose our salvation by our works and our lack of works. So we practice this in Angeland. We get people saved again and again and again and again. We get born again and again and again and again and again. How many of you got born again at least five times? How many of you accepted Jesus at least 20 times? See, that's a wrong practice. That's not biblical. Nowhere in the scripture that says that you get born again and again and again and again. And nowhere in the scriptures does it say you lose your salvation. So the wrong theology of salvation that we practice leads to insecurity, leads to weakness, leads to fear in the heart. And that's not what God wants. A wrong theology of salvation is similar to the practice of shaving. You can look up on the screen. Shaving is a tricky business. You need to hold fast when you shave. Make sure you don't cut yourself. You have to work out your shaving with fear and trembling because only he who shaves firm to the end will be shaved. Once you shave, you will have to shave again. How many of you shave every morning? See, apparently being shaved and being saved are the same according to some denominations and some theology. But I want to prove from the Word of God that you have eternal security. Once saved, you're always saved. Can you say amen? This is a teaching that once a person puts his faith in Jesus Christ, he cannot be lost. The other is conditional security. You can look up on the screen which is considered an Armenian theology. Eternal security is Calvinist. 
Conditional security is Arminian. It is the teaching that the believer is secure from condemnation as long as he maintains his salvation by his works. Saved by grace, but maintained by your works. That's what conditional security means. Now, as I go on teaching this, I want you to understand that there are two ditches that we need to be aware of. Imagine this stage is a road. On one side is a ditch. On the other side is also a ditch. So we have to maintain our walk on the road. On the left side is what we call the hyper-Calvinist extreme. Not hyper-grace, because there's no such thing as hyper-grace. True grace is hyper. But there's wrong grace, and wrong grace is the extreme. We as a church, we don't believe in any teaching that teaches that the spiritual life operates on autopilot, simply just by the grace of God. And the exhortations and warnings of the New Testament doesn't matter at all. The truth is, they matter. They're not for sure. Sin has consequences. We don't believe in any teaching that excuses, condones, or make light of sin in any way. This is what I believe. If you believe you're righteous by faith, it should affect your holy life. It should affect your holy living. Can you say amen? Hallelujah. So grace without transformation is the ditch on the left-hand side of the road. It's a poison that destroys a church by attacking holiness. The idea that the person can be saved simply by believing in Jesus without it having any change in a person's behavior over time. Not immediately, but over time. Transformation over time. And they can remain as sinful as they were just by faith they are saved. That is not true. That's a ditch. Grace does not mean that it's okay to sin. On the other hand, there's the hyper-Armenian side. We as a church, we don't believe in any teaching that says that good works are a co-condition or a condition for a person to be saved or to be made righteous. We don't believe in any teaching that says you must maintain your salvation by your works, which also then means that you can lose your salvation if you don't have the works. This extreme is called legalism. And the majority of churches in Nagaland are on this ditch called legalism. Please listen to me carefully. When we introduce any good works, even the Ten Commandments, as a co-condition, what do I mean by a co-condition? We teach you are justified by faith, but to be really righteous, you have to keep the Ten Commandments. Have you heard that before? That is a wrong teaching. Any condition, any works, whether it's discipleship, whether it's prayer and fasting, people pray and fast for 40 days to become righteous. They're wasting their time. Okay? If you add any work, any Christian work, giving, missions, sacrifice, any condition you add to your salvation as a co-condition, yes, by grace, but you need Prayer and fasting. Grace, but you need holy life. Grace, but you also need good works in order to be justified, in order to be saved, is a wrong teaching. Nowhere in the scriptures does it say that. So it's a ditch on the right-hand side of the road. It takes away the liberty, the joy, and the security in our walk with God from the Christian and leads into guilt and condemnation. It's what we call Phariseeism. 
Good works are important. Discipleship is important. Prayer and fasting is important. But they are a fruit of our faith. They are not a co-condition to justification, righteousness, or salvation. Can you say amen? In fact, the Bible condemns legalism. God curses legalism. In Galatians chapter 1, verse 6 to 8, God curses. There's a double curse on those who practice legalism. And it's so important what gospel you believe, what teaching you believe. Why? Because you will live life according to how you believe the gospel. The gospel you believe is the gospel you will live. So is it producing liberty? Is it producing joy? Is it producing fruitfulness in our lives? Or is it binding us? Is it pushing us into condemnation, into fear? Very important to understand that. Alright? Okay. Let me show you some principles of hermeneutics. Important to establish this before I go into the teaching. You can look up on the screen. Basic principles. Very quickly, let me give that to you. Miles Cloverdale said this. He was a bishop in England in the 16th, 15th century. He was the first to interpret the Bible completely into English. And this is what he says. It will help you to understand the scriptures if you not only mark what is written, but of whom and to whom and with what words and at what time, where, to what intent, with what circumstances, considering what goes before and what comes after. This is so important when you read the Bible. This is called the principle of context. If you read a verse without context, you get conned. If preachers preach verses to you without context, you get conned by the scriptures. Context is so important. Let me give you certain principles of context. The first is the division between the Old Testament and the New Testament. You cannot base your new covenant faith, New Testament faith, on the verses of the Old Testament. The Old Testament is the Bible. The New Testament is the Bible. But the New Testament is a greater revelation of God. The New Testament is in the Old. Hidden in mysteries and types. The Old is in the New. Explained. It's one Bible. But the revelation of truth and where we base our faith for salvation but God is all from the New the new. Can you say amen? So there's a division. We need to learn the divine, the verses. A lot of the practice of our churches is from the old. We curse the congregation. We curse through prophecy. It's, it's prophesying from an Old Testament spirit, not a New Testament covenant of grace. We run to prophets and prayer houses to hear from God. That is not the practice in the new. In the new, every believer has the Holy Spirit. Can you say Amen. Hallelujah. But we run to prayer house and prophets. Why? Because we think that we are still in the old. We practice the old. We think that only the prophets can hear. That's nonsense. Every believer can hear from God. Hallelujah. Alright. Another one is this. The Gospels must be interpreted by the epistles. The Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, the words of Jesus in red. But they must still be interpreted by the epistles because the epistles is where God gives the revelation of salvation and what happened on the cross. The, the gospels is like the body where Jesus comes in the flesh. But the epistles are like the CT scan. It's like a complete explanation of salvation. So in order to really understand even the sayings of Jesus, we need to interpret it from the epistles. In the gospels, Jesus said, 
If you do not forgive, your heavenly father will not forgive you. So we read that and we think, wow, if I don't forgive, God will not forgive me. But you have to interpret that from the epistles where Paul says, now today, forgive in the same manner you have been forgiven by God. So we forgive because we are already forgiven first. There's a difference. All right. Okay. The incidentals by the systematic. The incidentals are certain verses that you see in the scripture that, oh, does it mean I won't inherit the kingdom of God? Does it mean I will lose my salvation? And it doesn't make sense to you. So when it, it's difficult to understand, you must interpret it from the systematic books, Romans, Galatians. And if you study it systematically, you always come to the conclusion, once saved, always saved. All right, go to the next screen. The weight of scriptures establishes doctrines. Scriptures is always based on two or more. Doctrines always based on two or more scriptures. And if there is more scriptures, it establishes the weight of the doctrine more. There are hundreds of verses which speak to us about the security of our salvation eternally. Hundreds. There are a few problem verses which make us think, can we lose our salvation? But there's an explanation for that. But the most people will look at the problem verses and they doubt the salvation. And they will ignore the hundreds of scriptures that tell us we are saved. All right? Scripture interprets scripture. Another one is this. Always compare scriptures with scriptures. And another one is this. The principle of literal meaning, which is very important. The principle of literal meaning is to restrain your mind from fanciful interpretations not intended by the author or not even seen in the text. All right. Never let an unclear scripture let you down a clear scripture. John 3, 16 is absolutely clear. Whoever believes will have everlasting life. It's a clear. Don't ever doubt that by an unclear scripture. If the scripture makes complete sense, clear sense, seek no other sense. But the problem with theology is we try to find Different meanings in scriptures which have literal meaning. Which makes complete sense. Alright? Okay, so the security of salvation. Does the scripture teach that once saved, you're always saved? Absolutely, 100%. That is what the scriptures teach. The moment you give your life to Jesus, you're brought into a relationship with God. When you come to the altar call and you pray the prayer of salvation. Many times you just pray by faith. You have not understood what actually took place in the spirit. And then we tell you, now you are saved, you go back. So you go back home and you wonder what happened. Because you're only thinking about the externals, what you see, what you feel, what you think. You have not understood what happened in the spirit. And so we think that salvation is just something we get from the altar call and we go back home and then I end up in sin again. I backslide. I don't know the word of God so I'm not growing in God. So we think we have lost our salvation. So the next revival, you come back again. And the next crusade, you get saved again. And so even because your parents or your uncles are so unsure about you, when you are sick in hospital and you're about to die, they want to make sure that you said the prayer of salvation. They even tell me, Pastor, please go and pray for him because we don't know whether he's saved or not. And I don't like to go and do those things because I know he's already saved. They're saved by their faith in God. But we just want to make sure. 
That's the excuse. Just to make sure to the very end. See, they, they, they give more weight to, to the act of spiritual things they do than on the Word of God. They're trusting more that they pray the prayer rather than what God says in the Word. And so we try to find our assurance in spiritual exercises, spiritual things that we do. Our confidence is in our prayer, not in the Word. Our confidence is in our fasting, not in the Word. Nothing wrong in prayer and fasting, but it must come from a confidence in the Word. Amen? Hallelujah. Let me explain to you what happens in salvation, and then you will understand this better. John chapter 3, verse 3. John 3, verse 2. Jesus said, you must be born again. Everyone say, I must be born again. See, we must understand this in salvation. Salvation is not just something you get when you come to the altar call. You get a certificate saying you're born again. Hallelujah. But then you have to keep on coming back because you're wondering what happened. To be born again means to be born of the Spirit. To be born of God. What is born of the flesh is flesh. Your body is flesh. You were born from your mother's womb. That means you were born of the flesh. But Jesus says, what is born of the Spirit is spirit. That means you must be born of the Spirit in order to be born again. When God created man, Adam in the garden, God formed him out of the dust of the earth, the Bible says. So out of the dust, God made the shape of a man but Adam was still not alive. Just the shape was there. Fingers were not moving. Eyes were not opening. Just a statue. But only when God breathed His breath into Adam, the Ruach of God, Adam became a living being. Adam became a son of God. He became just like God. He carried the nature of God in him because the Spirit of God was in him. And Adam was created as a spirit being. Not a fleshly being, a spirit being who has a soul who inhabits a body. So that through the spirit, he can connect with God and the spirit realm. But through the body, he can have access into the physical realm and have dominion over this realm. God is a spirit. God is not flesh. So God gave authority to men on the earth to have dominion on the earth because man has flesh, but man also has spirit to, able, to be able to connect with God. You see, there was nothing in Adam that he did to become alive. Adam did not go and pray and fast and then become alive. Adam did not do good works and then become alive. He was just dead. So when God breathed into him, God put it into him. God put his spirit into him the God put His nature into him. God put His life into him. It came as a sovereign work of grace. And Adam became alive. Can you say amen? But the moment Adam sinned, what happened? Sin came into him. The nature of sin corrupted his spirit man. See, when the Spirit of God came into Adam, it was almost like Adam was a man who was always shining with the glory of God. Adam did not need clothes. Do you know why? They were not even aware they were naked. You know why? Their clothing was the glory of God. The glory of God was their clothing. But the moment Adam sinned, sin entered into him and the glory of God left. 
That's why it says in Romans chapter 3, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The glory of God left him. And then they found they were naked. Adam, Eve, oh. So they have to take fig leaves and to cover themselves. Fig leaves is a sign of self-righteousness. We may try to cover ourselves by our works and not by the grace of God. Are you following me? Amen. Hallelujah. No, the Bible says in Romans chapter 5 verse 12, the Romans 5 verse 12. Therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world, through one man, through one man, through one man, sin entered the world. Which man is this? Can you say louder? Adam. And death through sin. So, because Adam sinned, death entered the world through sin, and thus death spread to all men because all sinned. So, all men are born sinners because of Adam. Look at this. Adam was full of the glory of God, full of life, full of the Spirit of God. Adam was shining in the garden. Adam was in a place called light. Adam was in a place called the kingdom of God. He was in unbroken communion with God. He was in a position with God as a son of God. He was in the favor of God. He was in the righteousness of God. Can you say amen? Hallelujah. But the moment Adam sinned, the glory left. Hallelujah. And death entered him. Sin entered him. From the place of light, he entered the place of darkness. From the place of life, he entered the place of death. From having the nature of God, he began to have the nature of sin in him. And because all men come from Adam, you were in your father's body, right? Before you came to existence. Your father was in your grandfather. If your grandfather did not exist, you would not be here. Isn't it true? And your grandfather was in your great-great-grandfather. And if you keep on going back, 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 one day we'll all end up in Adam. And that's why the Bible says, all men have sinned in Adam. Because all of us come from Adam. Hallelujah. See, God always looks at the entire human race through two men, Adam and Eve. And I'm sorry, first Adam and the second Adam, Jesus. All right? I'll come to that later on. Now, what happens when you get born again? All of us have a sin nature before we got born again. That's why we were called sinners. But the moment we accept Jesus Christ, maybe in an altar call, maybe at home, the moment you say, I believe in Jesus, I surrender my life to you, the moment you believe, Maybe you didn't even come to the altar call. Maybe we were just listening to the sermon at the back. In the middle of the sermon, you said, I believe. Bang. At that moment, what happened? At that very moment, the breath of God, the Holy Spirit, comes into you again. The sin nature is destroyed. The sin nature is removed. And God puts His life into you again. If you believe you will have everlasting life. 
that life is put into you again. It has nothing to do with how long you fasted, how good you were. Just like in the beginning when God breathed into Adam and he became alive. When you believe, God breathes into you again and you become spiritually alive. You are washed of all your sins. You are regenerated in the Holy Spirit or born again. Look at Titus chapter 3 verse 5. Titus chapter 3 verse 5. Not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to His mercy, He saved us. How? Through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit. Born of the Spirit. God puts His Spirit into us again and we become alive in God. And from the place of darkness, that place of death that we were, immediately we are transported into the place of light. The kingdom of the Son of His love. From sin to righteousness, from death to life, immediately. That's what happened when you got born again. But it happened in the spirit, not in your body, not in your mind. It happened in your spirit. The spirit is a place you cannot feel. You cannot see. You just have to believe according to the word. That's what happened. God gave you a new heart. The Bible says God will put a new spirit within you. So you have a new heart and you have a new spirit. When you understand this process, then you will understand you cannot lose your salvation. Let me give you certain scriptures and I'll come back again to this. Romans chapter 8 verse 30. We're going to look at a lot of scriptures. So go into your Bible right now. Romans 8 verse 30. Moreover, whom he predestined, these he also called. Whom he called, these he also justified whom he justified this he also glorified look at verse 29 for whom he foreknew talking about believers he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son that he might be the firstborn among many brethren are you a believer in Jesus can I see your hands you know what it means you are a son of God you are no longer a sinner Many times we hear people say this term, sinner saved by grace. That is not a proper biblical term to use for a believer. The moment you are born again, you are no longer a sinner. When we say sinner, it's referring to identity. It's referring to the nature within you. The moment you give your life to Jesus, you are a son of God. Can you say Amen. See, the Bible says God predestined us. He chose you before the beginning of time. And because He chose you, He called you. Remember those times when that sermon spoke to your heart, that friend shared the testimony, that book spoke to you. He was calling you. And then it came to a point when you accepted Jesus, you gave your life to Jesus. Hallelujah. That's the moment when you were justified. The word justified means forgiven of all your sins and declared righteous, made right before God, given a position of rightness before God. Then the Bible also says, if you have been justified, 
How many of you believe you're righteous? Justified. The Bible says you're also glorified. Not going to be glorified when you go to heaven. You're already glorified. Come on, say this with me. I am already glorified. We have the seed. We have the first fruit. We have the stamp as a down payment. What it means is this. The moment you're born again, you before God are already glorified. Even though you're here on the earth. God sees you. God perceives you as if you're already glorified in His presence in heaven. And if you're already glorified, then you are secure. See, to lose your salvation would mean you're being unglorified again. Nowhere in the scripture does it say that. Let's look at another scripture. Romans chapter 8 verse 33 and 34. Two important questions Paul asks. Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? Who shall accuse believers? That's what he's saying. He says, no one can. Because it is God who justifies. Come on, say this with me. It is God who justifies me. Who is he who condemns? Who can condemn you? Because of your weakness or your imperfections? The answer is no. Why? It is Christ who died. Meaning Christ was condemned on your behalf. Christ went to hell on your behalf. And furthermore, is also reason Christ rose from the dead, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. These two questions. Who shall accuse you? No one. Who shall condemn you? No one can. You know why? Because the judge is on your side. The lawyer is on your side. Can you lose a case when the judge and the lawyer is on your side? Jesus is your advocate. The Father is your judge. You cannot lose your salvation. Let's go on again. John 3 verse 3, we've already looked at that. Titus chapter 3 verse 5. Now look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 17. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Come on, say this with me. A new creation. All things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. New creation. That's what I was describing to you. The moment you got born again, God put His life into you. God put His life into you. You know what that means? It means literally in scriptures, you are a new species of being. You are a new species of being. Do you know that you are not a human being? You are not a human being. Don't think like a human being. Don't talk like a human being. Who am I then? You are a son of God. You are a son of God who inhabits a human body. But on the earth, God wants you to reveal His glory, His love, and take His kingdom to the nations. You are an ambassador of heaven. You're not an ambassador of Nagaland. Only an ambassador of your culture. You talk more about Akune than you talk about salvation to people. You are an ambassador of the gospel. You are a son of God. Think about it. You are a son of God.
You see, the Father's will was never to have only saved people in His church. The Father's will from the very beginning was always to have sons. Sons. Let me prove to you from Hebrews. Go to Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 2. Look at verse 9. But we see Jesus who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death crowned with glory and honor that he by the grace of God might taste death for everyone. So Jesus died and tasted death on our behalf. Verse 10. Why? For it was fitting for Christ for whom are all things and by whom are all things in bringing many sons to glory. The Father's desire has always been to have sons. To have sons. To have sons. You see, God put His nature into Adam and Adam became a living being. The ruler of the earth. In the same way, when you get born again, God puts His nature, His very nature. He doesn't just give you a certificate saying you're born again. It's not your church certificate and your baptism certificate which says you're a Christian. But sometimes we think that. That's why we're so scared that if the church takes away my membership certificate or my baptism certificate, I lose my salvation. It's just a piece of paper. But when you get born again, you get the nature of God in you. The very life and nature of God is deposited in you and that's what makes you a son. It's not your certificate. It's the nature of God in you. You carry it within you. That's why Paul says, we have this treasure in earthen vessels. This treasure. That's a mystery that you have to believe according to the word. You go back to Romans chapter 8. See, Romans chapter 8 says this. In verse 19. For the creation, for the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. You see, when Adam sinned, not only was man cursed, creation was cursed. Creation was cursed. And the wait now for God to restore creation back and to redeem mankind is Jesus dying on the cross for our sins so that when we believe in Him, we become sons of God. Amen. And then it is true, a life of faith that God begins to reveal His glory on the earth again. See, we are waiting for Jesus to come back, right? We're waiting for Jesus to come back. We're just holding on. But creation is waiting for you to manifest your sonship. Creation is waiting for you to manifest your identity on the earth as a son of God. Hallelujah. So that's what it means. You are a new creation. You are a new species of being. You are a son of God. You're not a Christian. Nowhere in the Bible does it say, God say, I want Christians in heaven. Christian is just a term that we use. You are a son of God. Come on, turn to your neighbor and say, you are a son of God. The term son of God it's not a gender term, okay? Even women are included in that term. Can you say amen? Hallelujah. You are a son of God. Alright. Now that we understand this. Okay. What happens when you get born again? Come, I need, 
but before this. What happens when you get born again? You are a sinner. You heard the gospel. You got born again. You know what happens? The entire process in the spirit. This is a mystery, but you have to believe this. Paul says, when Christ was crucified, I was crucified with him. When Christ was buried, Romans chapter 6, I was buried with Christ. When Christ rose from the dead, I rose from the dead into a new resurrection life that I have. That's what happened in the process of salvation. Follow me, follow me. Are you here with me? So when you accepted Jesus, you know what happened? You were crucified with Him. You were on the cross. Your old man was crucified with Him. Not only that, you were buried with Christ. It's called identification with Christ. Not only that, you were resurrected with Christ. Not only that, you ascended with Christ. Not only that, you are now seated with Christ. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 6, put up on the screen. You are seated with Christ in heavenly places. Far above all principality, power, might, and demon. You are seated with Christ in heavenly places at the right hand of God. You are seated with Christ. Not only that, God took you and put you into Christ. And then God put, took Christ and put into you. And then God took you and put you into Him. You've come joined with God, in union with God. But pastor, I'm here in Faith Harvest Church. You know, that's because you're only thinking here naturally with what you see. You have to believe the word. You are in union with God. Can you say, I'm in union with God? That's what happened when you got born again. If you can lose your salvation, according to what some people teach, imagine what would happen. You are seated with Christ in heavenly places and then suddenly you've lost the salvation. You have to be the process has to reverse. Then you go back to the grave. You have to be unresurrected. Go back to the grave and you'll go back to the cross and from the cross you have to jump out again and you lost your salvation. But they also teach that you can get it back again by your confession. So you get born again again. You go back again and you come back to the cross again and you're seated with Christ in heavenly places. Ah, oh, but you drank too much that party. So you lost your salvation. You go back again and you come out back out of the cross, back into your sinful state again. You are a sinner again. And then you gave your life to Christ again in a crusade. You went again and you came back and seated with Christ in heavenly places, but you lost your salvation again. How foolish is that? Some of you did that at least 10 times last week. <laughs> There's no place in Scripture that teaches that. If people have prophesied to you this way, that was a false prophecy. If people teach that, and I know a lot of prayer houses teach this. See, the way that people try to keep the church is by fear. Keep the members by fear. But God will always release you to be sons. If you are a son, you will never leave your father. But if you think you are a slave and they treat you like a slave, you're waiting for the day when you just get a little bit of freedom and you're out of the house. That's why when you preach grace, sometimes people act a little crazy because their mindset was always as a slave. So they act a little crazy. But then they come back to the knowledge that they are sons and they become stable in the house. Amen. It's, it's nowhere in the scripture to say that the whole process is reversed again and again. Alright? 
Look at, let me give you, man, more time. All right, a very quick point, and then I'll share another thing, and then I'll close. Okay. 1 Corinthians 2, 12, verse 13 says, we are baptized into the body of Christ. 1 Corinthians 12, 13. So to lose the salvation would mean you are being unbaptized. You are baptized in the body of Christ. You are literally in the body of Christ. The spiritual body. Alright? John 3 verse 15 says that if you believe in Jesus, you will have eternal life. John 3 15. Eternal life. If you believe in Christ today, you have eternal life. But if you lose it tomorrow, then the word eternal was a lie. It was never eternal. But the Bible says it's eternal. Can you say amen? Look at John chapter 10, verse 28 to 29. John 10, 28 to 29. Hey, I have a lot of time. I can stay for another hour. If you guys can. How many of you want to stay longer? Till we finish this properly. Let's have a vote. The majority will win. Who wants to stay longer? Yeah. By faith, I can see everyone's hand. John 10, 28. And I give them eternal life. Look at verse 27. My sheep hear my voice. We are God's sheep. We are not dogs. We are not worms. Some people come up on the stage and they pray this way. Lord, we are just worms before you. Right? And so you heard that prayer and you're like, wow, sounds so wonderful. The next time you're asked to pray, you come and pray the same prayer. Lord, we are worms because I heard the deacon pray. The deacon heard somebody pray. That, heard, that person heard somebody pray. So we continue perpetuating this belief that we are worm, 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 worm because we only copied each other's religious prayers without getting to the Word of God. We are sheep. Can you say Amen. And I know them and they follow me, verse 28, and I give them eternal life. God gives. We don't take. God gives. We don't take by our fasting. God gives. Can you say amen? And they shall never, everyone say never, never perish, neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hands. But the teaching is this. The hand of Jesus is so weak that you by your smoking can jump out of Jesus' hands. I'm not saying smoke, alright? I'm just using an example. Jesus' hand is so weak that Satan can come and snatch you out of his hand and Jesus cannot help you losing your salvation. No one can snatch them out of my hands. Which means you cannot jump out yourself. Amen. Hallelujah. Now, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 to 9, we'll close here. Maybe I'll pick this up again next Sunday and talk about those difficult verses and explain those difficult verses to you. Ephesians 2, verse 8 and 9. But no promises, huh? How long two days goes? For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Not of works, lest anyone should believe. Okay. This is very important to understand. Do you agree that salvation is by grace and not by works? Alright? I just need two of you come quickly to the front. Come stand facing the crowd. Adam, 
Jesus. First Adam, second Adam. All those who are in Adam are this side. All those who are in Christ are this side. If you understand this, it will establish this truth. God sees humanity in two men. Adam and Christ. Alright, let me prove that to you. Go back quickly to um, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 22. For since by man, verse 21, 1 Corinthians 15, verse 21. For since by man, for Adam, M-A-N, not M-E-N, one man, by man came death. From Adam came death. By man, capital M, referring to Jesus, also came resurrection of the dead through Christ. Alright? Verse 22. For as in Adam, all die, even so in Christ all shall be made alive. So God judges humanity between two men, Adam and Christ. Because Adam sinned, all men sinned. Alright? Romans chapter 5 verse 19. Through one man's disobedience, many were made sinners. So through one man's obedience, one man's, not your grandfather, all right, one man, Jesus, Romans 5, 19, put that on the screen. Through one man's obedience, many will be made righteous. One man, capital M, one man's obedience, Jesus Christ, many will be made righteous. So Adam, Christ. Adam sinned, all of you are sinned. So let's say all of you are in Adam, which means you are sinners. Now let me ask you this question. Even when you were a sinner, did you do good works? Did you give to the poor? where you moved with compassion for the widows, but it did not save you. Right? See, as a sinner, I'm sure you came to church as a sinner too. You were generous as a sinner, yes or no? But you were just a generous sinner. Did you fast as a sinner? You just fasted as a sinner. You did good works as a sinner. Nothing you did changed your identity as a sinner. You may have gone to revival crusades. You may have done any number of good works. It did not change your identity, your position, the place of darkness, the place of sin. You were there. Why? Because of Him. Why? It's by grace you are saved, not by your works. Are you following me? Amen. So if you were a good man, even before you came to Christ, you were just a good sinner. And as a good sinner, you were on your way to hell. You were a generous sinner on your way to hell. You were a sinner who fed the poor people on your way to hell. But the moment you believed in Christ, what happens? You are in Christ. Amen. Hallelujah. You're in the kingdom of God. You've left the kingdom of darkness. You are in light. You're not in sin anymore. You are in Christ. Can you see? Amen. It's not by your works. It's by grace. What happens? God takes you and puts you. It's a sovereign work of grace. However, the wrong teaching is this. We think that what Adam did is so powerful that our works cannot make us 
unsinner. Our works cannot save us. It cannot change our identity. Right? But we teach this. That after you're born again, if you sin, you can lose your salvation. Salvation is by grace, but you can lose salvation by your works. That's what we teach. Salvation is by grace. What Adam did is so powerful that no good works you do as a sinner can change your identity except you believe in Christ. Amen. But then why do we teach then? Why do we think that what Christ did is so weak? What Christ did is so weak that by your bad works or your falling away, you can lose your salvation. Let me ask you this. Who is greater, Adam or Christ? Which work is a greater work? Was Adam's sin greater or Christ's redemption greater? Then how can you lose your salvation? If you cannot become a righteous man by your works, how can you lose your righteousness by your works? Amen. See, your good works as a sinner could never save you. Which means your bad works as a Christian cannot make you lose the salvation. Let me say that again at the risk of sounding scandalous. Your bad works as a, as a righteous man, as a Christian, cannot make you lose your salvation. Ah, let's go out and sin now. Let's go out and party, right? If you think and understood that way, you need a slap. You see, that assurance is to make you love God more. That assurance is to give you such deep intimacy with God that you are like, and now you are by grace in a greater place of liberty and confidence and intimacy with God. That fear that you can lose the salvation causes you not to have intimacy. You see, that is why Jesus said, you have to be born again. Thank you. You may be seated. You have to be born again. Leave this place by being born again into this place. Leave this family of Adam and come to Christ's family. Don't be in Adam's family. It's a weird family. Crazy family. Come into the family of Christ. You see, the moment you accept Jesus, you leave this family. You leave this inheritance of Adam and you come into the inheritance of Christ. You come into the lineage of the Father. And that's why there can be no generational curse. What generational curse can come from Jesus into your life? This teaching about generational curses in the prayer houses, I tell you, it is not biblical. Because the moment you accept Christ, God has become your father. Jesus has become your elder brother. The Holy Spirit is in you. And that's why the Bible says, don't look to the past. Why you believe in generational curse? You're redeemed from every curse of the law because of Christ. Christ took your generational curses. Can you say amen? Hallelujah. You are here in the family of Christ, in the family of God. John chapter 1 verse 12 says that to everyone who believe in Him, He gave the right to become children of God. Born not of the will of men, born not of the flesh or human blood, but born of God. 
John 1, 12. Born of God. Can you say born of God? Born of God. To those who believe in His name, He gave the right to become children of God. Hallelujah. Let me go there in my own Bible and read out to you. John chapter 1. Look at verse 13. Who were born? Children of God. Verse 13. Who were born? We were born. Born again of what? Not of blood. Nor of the will of the flesh. Nor of the will of men. But of God. Can you say I'm born of God? I'm born of God. God has given birth to you. Just as my wife and I gave birth to a son and daughter. They carry our nature. They carry our DNA. They carry our genes. Because they're born of God. Born of us. In the same way, when you are born again, you carry God's genes in you. You carry God's DNA in you. You carry God's nature in you. When my son disobeys, he doesn't become unborn. And then he, Father, forgive me. And after two weeks, he disobeys again. From today, you are no longer kikon. So he has to beg, cry, fast, 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 40 days. Oh, from today you'll kick on again. That is how we think Christianity is. Even if he disobeyed, he cannot become unborn. I can't tell him, go back to my wife's room and I'll take you out from there and I'll throw you out of my family. You see, he can never stop becoming my son. Even if I'm angry and reject him, he will always be my son. My daughter will always be my daughter because it is something at birth. And that birthing can never be reversed. It cannot be reversed. Then how much more in the spirit, because the natural parallels the spirit, how much more in the spirit, if you're born of God, can you become unborn of God? You were seated with Christ in heavenly places. And the moment you sinned, Christ looks at you. Hey, who are you? No. You are one with God. God knows you. You cannot become unborn of God. We are children of God. Born of God. Can you say amen? Hallelujah. How can we lose salvation? How can my son lose his sonship, even if he's not a perfect son. Even though you can never lose your salvation. Eternal salvation is at your birth in the Spirit. When you're born again, you're eternally saved. Hallelujah. See, for all the things we understand in the Word, what happens at salvation it is absolutely clear. You cannot lose your salvation. Next week, I'll talk about the different difficult verses and I'll explain it to you. Bring your friends. Let them be blessed through this. Okay. Your name is written in the book of life. But sorry, you went to the Muduga. So there's an angel rubbing your name out. But then you confess your sin again. Oh, write your name again. I will confess, rub it out. Write your name, rub it out. Write your name, rub it out again. That angel must be saying, Hey, yeah, it's a Nagamanukan. Kiman Bartalagan in Nikiji. Every Sunday he's getting born again, 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 again. 
Amen. Put your confidence in the scriptures, not in the religious practices, not in some false prophecies. Amen. Put your confidence in the scripture. Not in your feelings, not in your own thoughts in the scripture. Sometimes your feelings may be opposite of scripture. Because when you sin, it is natural to feel fear, to feel the guilt. But then at that moment, you realize Christ died for you. You just confess it. You accept the word. But even after you have believed that Christ has forgiven you, you still feel some guilt, right? That feeling is not true. The word is greater than the feelings that you have. So you must overcome your feelings of fear and guilt with the Word of God by believing in the Word of God. Your feelings are not the truth. The truth is the truth, the Word of God. So believe in the Word, not believe in your feelings. Believe in the Word, don't believe in your own reasonings. Let your faith be on the Word of God. And the more you understand, with more scriptures, the whole council of scriptures, there's more assurance that you can experience. And I tell you, it brings you into a deeper intimacy with God. You begin to appreciate God for how good He is, how wonderful He is, how amazing He is. Amen. He doesn't cast you out because of your backslidden ways. He doesn't cast you out because of your failures. You see, why do people leave the church? Because they feel they have come to a place where they cannot be restored by God anymore. They feel that they've sinned so much that God will never accept them back. And that's why they walk away from God and they walk away from the church. And it's hard to bring their hearts back to repentance. But when they will come to know the truth that no matter what you do, the God is always love. He will always accept you. And when they realize that they cannot lose the salvation, it gives them confidence to come back again, to appreciate the Father more. And we learn to love Him. Why? Because as He loved us, we're able to love. We are able to love because He first loved us. We love God because He first loved me. Hallelujah. Come, let's all stand to our feet. If you have been blessed through this podcast, we invite you to partner with us in sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ from Nagaland to the nations. We make all our series available for free, but it does cost us time, effort, and money to do. So the support of people such as you will enable us to reach more people in more regions. Remember, when you give, the Word of God says in 2 Corinthians 9 8, that God is able to make all grace abound towards you, that you, always having all sufficiency, all things, may have an abundance of every good work. If you would like to support our media ministry on a monthly basis or through a one-time gift, kindly write to us at faithharvestnagaland at gmail.com and visit our website www.faithharvest.in and you can go to the giving section. You can also give through this UPI ID 700-568-4533 at Paytm. God bless you and thank you so much for your generosity.